All right, well, my name's Jack. I'm the lead pastor here. If we haven't met, we're so glad you guys joined us this morning. If there's anything that I can do for you or my staff, please don't hesitate to ask. Today's a very special day. Uh, you know, once a year, we um, kind of take the focus and make it on some of, the, some of our partners. And one of our longtime partners is Convoy of Hope. And, um, you know, we're in a season, I was thinking about, we're, we're just in a season right now, the next few weeks, uh, we're going to have a lot of opportunities for you to give outside of us. And um, I hope you'll pray about that and um, think about everything we're, we're kind of bringing in front of you and at least do, you know, at least do one and, and just ask God, what, what do you want me to do? And so today um, it's Convoy, and what I love about doing a convoy once a year is uh, throughout the year, you know, there's a lot going on and there'll be people that need help. And because we do one day once a year, we've, we've already given toward all of those things that are, that are going to happen. And so you can really feel like, hey, um, I'm making a difference when you see, you know, some hurricane hit some place and, and people are displaced and there's children without food. You know, you, you know that you've already given toward that. So um, basically the way it works is next week uh, I'm going to work one day uh, on Tuesday and uh, I want to invite you guys to join me to work on Tuesday but you can pick whatever day you want and then we're going to bring back uh, our one day offering um, next Sunday. Now if you know you're going to be traveling or uh, you just know Black Friday is coming and I don't trust myself uh, yeah, you know who you are, um, then you probably should go ahead and, and give today. I, I'm giving today. I'm, I'm going to do that because Wendy's already been giving me a list of Black Friday items. So um, we're just going to get that out of the way. But um, Brian's going to share with us some stories. These guys are, these guys are legit. I, I've met, you know, I've met the leaders. Uh, I, I've hung out with them. Um, these guys are legit. They're, they are making a difference in the world. And they have the heart uh, that you want to put your money behind. So uh, if you want to back a winner, um, these guys, I only bring winners to you. These guys are winners, okay? All right. Wow, I'm a winner. Um, yeah, so a day's wage because of the corporate sponsorship uh, Convoy has over 400 now, with like Home Depot and Bass Pro and Coca-Cola, a whole bunch. And they've all signed off. They understand that the resources are going to be distributed all through local church to advance Jesus' gospel, or, or we don't partner with them. So the stretch um, is pretty fun to see. Um, it's not Convoy. We're just the ghosts in the machine. And the local churches like this one, if there was a tornado or a fire or something, you guys would be deployed in first response. That's, that's the idea. And out of the 240 days you go to work a year, you just pick one that you go to work for the poor and you bring that day's wage. Um, and I love the simplicity of that. Uh, and I, I'm here also just to celebrate, this is the 25th um, anniversary of Convoy Pope. Uh, so, yay! <laughs> so... Um, the vineyard movement is, what, 15 years older than that. So it's really fun to see, like today, all across America, 
a lot of vineyard ch uh, churches have chosen today for uh, announcing or taking up that offering. So th this week's been fun. Um, there's a kid in, in Florida, his name's Carson Rudy, and uh, he started when he was 12. He's an eighth grader now. And uh, it's in Florida, so it's not cold. But he, he did um, billboard sitting for seven days. And first year as a 12-year-old, raised $20,000 towards um, his dream of one day um, providing a, a semi-truck for Convoy of Hope. That's his goal. He just loves big rigs. So if you go on there, you can see Carson Rudy's uh, big rig project. This week he announced it, and a little uh, radio station interviewed Carson. It's really cute. You want to hear it sometime this week. It's like, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. <laughs> just like, it is really cute. But somebody was listening. The manufacturer of, of trucking attire, you know, was listening, and they said, hey, tell Carson by the time he gets on top of that semi, we're giving $20,000. And so that's the story, really, um, that I think Convoy of Hope's um, inspired by. I hope that you'll include and engage your children and that we could see 100% participation this week because God's really... There was a, a team of scholars at Notre Dame that uh, kind of described you guys in, in their research on the etymology and the history of the usage of the word generosity. What is generosity? It's derived from a Latin term, they said, and it had the original meaning of noble birth. During the 17th century, the definition began to shift towards being of noble spirit. It signified one who possessed the ideals of nobility, which included courage, strength, and fairness. In the 18th century, generosity came to be uh, understood as open-handedness, the giving of one's money and possessions to another as they were guided by these uh, character qualities of courage, strength, and fairness. The study ultimately answered its research question by defining generosity as the virtue of giving good things to others freely and abundantly. In a world today of moral contrasts, generosity entails not only the moral good expressed, but many vices which the church rejects. Selfishness, greed, fear, or even meanness. Generosity, <clears throat> therefore, can be expressed in a whole series of ways. Possessions, time, attention, encouragement, emotional availability, and more. Uh, author Joshua Becker took this definition and in his application on simplicity, living uh, a rewarding life, he said that true generosity requires a high level of contentment. It recognizes the reality that giving our resources to another person means that we'll have less for ourselves. But he also noted in this way that contentment 
is cyclical with generosity and forms the foundation for such. In response, surprisingly enough, generosity becomes the fuel for even higher contentment. I was um, struck by some of those character qualities and thought I'd just mention a couple reasons I think um, we need to focus on as obstacles to generosity. Have you ever wondered why there's so much talk, even in the church, about love and, we, and say that we care so much about the condition of the world? Somebody ought to do something. But when reality strikes, we actually do so little. For most, it's not that we lack compassion. It's not. But often it's because we lack confidence. We've raised our hands in surrender to fear or uncertainty, doubt. What can one person, really, come on, let's get real. What can one person's wage do? What's that really going to accomplish? But it's actually an inaccurate focus. Remember nobility, courage, fairness. Yes, there are massive injustices, uh, horrific catastrophes, and social problems that truly do exist that I cannot fix on my own. But nobody could. <laughs> the fact is that the solutions have nothing to do with our ability, our identity, or monetary value. It has nothing to do with you and I being smart enough, good enough, famous enough, or powerful enough. It just means that some problems require an entire courageous, fair regiment of revolutionary friends coming together around that problem to move the needle. Matthew chapter 9, there's a, a little um, window into the heart of God, his son Jesus. It said when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, they're few. So pray, therefore, earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. So Jesus is acknowledging this isn't just for one person. Let's ask the Lord of the harvest. Harvest is sort of a positive uh, frame for the picture of harassed and helpless. And that's, that's the left and the right arm of, of God reaching around and saying, let's do both. Let's acknowledge that there is real opportunity here in this circumstance, and let's align ourselves with the heart of God, regardless of what it looks like the outcome might be. Uh, in 2018, 
Um, I'm going to just show you some pictures from the things that transpired during the year uh, regarding disasters. There were 18 domestic and 21 international disasters that you responded to through your one day's wage. Uh, you might remember these names, Florence in North Carolina, Michael in Florida, uh, the camp and car fires. We're all, by the way, still engaged in these areas. Internationally, uh, Indonesia, Guatemala had a, a volcano, do you recall? The African ongoing uh, hunger crisis, Myanmar, the flooding, Mozambique, Malawi, Hurricane uh, Idai. And more recently, um, the catastrophe in the Bahamas are all places where we're mobilizing local churches to engage with those who are poor and suffering. Many of them lost everything. Um, but that might be a good time to say, you know, we're also still engaged in Puerto Rico after Maria and Houston after Hurricane Harvey. Not only is our goal to be the first there to mobilize the churches, but to be there throughout all three phases of the response, the rescue, uh, the restoration, and the reconstruction phases, where churches are still building relationships with those who suffered. You were noble, courageous, fair, and you looked at what one day's wage when it's matched by all these corporations and linked with all the other churches that you love and know to make a difference. Thank you. Um, but the strategy of responding to disaster often becomes an opportunity in another way in countries that we call creative access countries where the gospel is illegal to be preached. We can then, um, by doing a job with excellence, establish uh, new programs for feeding children or empowering women or doing agriculture. In <laughs> 2016, we were feeding 100,000 kids a day. And we set a goal that by 2020, we would be feeding 200,000 kids a day. But actually in October of last year, we went past 200,000. So our new goal together that we're calling churches to embrace is to feed 400,000 children every day, which includes four new countries, by the way, by the year 2025. Would you believe with us for that? Would you pray to that end? Um, because the infrastructure is now in place where we can move past that to feeding one million kids a day if we have the resources. So uh, just in, in last year, um, the things that opened up because we were feeding children, including women's empowerment, um, we saw that uh, the number actually doubled from 2017. Uh, we're, we increased the women's feeding program to, by 6,732 women, which is double what we did in 2017. Um, now, these ladies, you know, um, are really, really bright. Uh, and if we can give them a gift of training and helping do market analysis, they're able to not only feed their children and purchase a home, but they can then, uh, through peer-to-peer -peer lending, lift 
the entire community's uh, vision and expectation for raising the economy of a local village. So it's not about a brilliant strategy, it's more about empowerment of the right people. And women um, are, are stepping up into leadership roles in places that were male dominant, um, where there's other kinds of oppression. And they're able to begin uh, having an equal voice in the leadership of a community, thanks to you. Now, that, that's not easy to do. It's, it's roughly $1,000 to train and assess and launch and give seed capital. But it means that that mother is able to care for her children and we won't be feeding their grandchildren, her grandchildren, through the Children's Feeding Initiative, thanks to you. In agriculture, we saw the same sort of statistic that doubled the number of farmers that were trained from 2017, uh, which was about 2,500 farmers. Last year, we trained 6,707. So the number of women, a high percentage of them are also in agriculture. Um, so the, the Women's Empowerment Program, we now have successfully launched with a 98% success rate, 16,903 businesses and 23,096 farmers. Isn't that cool? All of that transforming an effective uh, an entire community. Charity Advocator um, last year gave us the 16th consecutive four-star rating. Because I know that not only is it good to be efficient, you're concerned about the ethics of what we're doing. And in order to earn that, you have to exceed industry standards for transparency um, and efficiency. So fewer than 1%, a fraction of 1%, have received uh, Charity Navigator's uh, four-star rating for 16 consecutive years. And this last year, uh, even Forbes. Now, by the way, did you know how many charities operate in the United States? It's 1.5 million. And Convoy of Hope, by Forbes' uh, recommendation, is solidly in the top 100. So you can know, yeah, there's room for improvement, but we're doing well. We're doing well. It's remarkable when you hear the story of that growth. Um, 115 million people have had the opportunity to see the gospel demonstrated through love, and compassion in 25 years, in 25 years. But when you realize and understand the backstory of how Convoy of Hope came to be, it's even more remarkable. Our founder, my friend Hal Donaldson, uh, grew up in poverty uh, out of a tragedy. Uh, this photograph is of Hal's family a month before his father was killed by a drunk driver. And it would have been easy for him to grow up bitter and broken. Um, but because of friends like you that journeyed with Hal and his siblings while his mom was eight months in the hospital, and um, that, that family uh, changed the course of Hal's life. When, when that happened, Bill Davis uh, was 
in a little crowd out in the front of the house and a police officer saying, who can take these kids if nobody can? A police officer said, we'll take them down to the station. And Bill Davis, who was a friend of Hal's father, said, we'll, we'll take them into our home. And he told Hal when they came to his home, you know, the, the tragedy in your life doesn't have to become, Hal, a lifelong excuse. Because where you start in life doesn't have to dictate where Jesus will lead you in the end. And here's a picture of the home that Bill Davis had. He didn't have a big bank account. <laughs> didn't have uh, a lot of the things. But he, he had four kids already living in, in his home in a single wide trailer, and he invited four more in. And, and if you talk to Hal Donaldson today, he'll say that trailer is where Convoy of Hope started. That's where it started. Hal said, growing up, I despised walking into school with holes in both my shoes and jeans, and every lunch period reminded me that I was different. I was eating mayonnaise sandwiches and off-brand peanut butter crackers. Meanwhile, my friends ate tuna fish and had apples and hostess cupcakes. Needless to say, they didn't really ever want to trade for anything I had. We couldn't afford a barber, so I just grew my hair long and trimmed it myself. I detested standing in line at the grocery store with only food stamps and confessing to my little league coach that I wasn't going to be able to have a new baseball mitt. But nothing was worse than being targeted by bullies at school. When you're labeled a poor kid, you get shoved in the hallway, harassed in the locker room, ignored by girls, and ridiculed when you're not looking. They laugh at your clothes. They pretend you smell like dog manure. It's no wonder I suffered from class anxiety. I vowed that someday I wouldn't be poor, but most of the time, I didn't have enough self-confidence to even try. Those years helped me understand how poor families remain powerless for generations. They simply begin believing that they're third class. They suffer from what sociologists call social immobility. And they feel trapped in a pit of circumstances they don't know how to climb out of. Harassed, helpless. But how found in that place there was help. Bill Davis was an extension of Jesus' shepherd heart. In John chapter 6, um, we read a story. Uh, it starts out in an awkward way <laughs> because of the chapter break. After this, what is that? This. It's actually a reference back to the impact of the crowds, uh, the impact the crowd had on Jesus in Matthew 9. Um, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. See, they were bewildered. They were bullied by Rome, belittled, battered, oppressed, exploited, harassed. And yes, they were helpless. How do we know that? Because this lake is four miles long. 
and Jesus is in a boat and they're going across the lake. By the time they get there, the crowd had to have traveled 10 miles. 10 miles. And there's an estimate that there's, you know, 5,000 men. So there could have been up to 12 to 15,000 people in this crowd. But by the time Jesus' boat gets there and he walks up the hillside, they're there. Boom. What moves people like that? Well, for generations, they've been praying for a Messiah. And here in the life of Jesus is that opportunity, perhaps. Expectations are rising. Jesus has been praying, the Lord of the harvest, send forth laborers. And when he sees this crowd coming, he's looking through the chaos and the pain that there's about to be an answer to that prayer. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover feast, that's important later, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes, then seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, he said to Philip, Philip, I love this, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test Philip. For he himself knew already ahead of time what was about to go down. As you're approaching this next week, can you let that reality of what Jesus sees govern you? Philip answered him, 200 days wages wouldn't be enough to buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of the other disciples, Simon, Peter's brother, who's famous for getting it wrong. <laughs> I'm going to break it down this way. He says, there's a boy. Here. Who has five barley loaves and two fish. Now, if he'd have ended right there, <laughs> it would have been a great day for Peter. He says, but, you know, what, what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Are you sitting down? Are you ready for what's about to happen here? You heard that phrase? Maybe it comes from this. I don't know. Are you sitting down? So the men sat down, and there were about 5,000 in number, and then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, I have come to the conviction, living with this text for months now, he didn't just say, Lord, thank you for the fish and loaves, amen. I think he's giving thanks to what he prayed and told the others to begin praying in Matthew 9. Let the Lord of the harvest raise up laborers, for there's going to be a harvest And when he'd given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, and so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they'd eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. 
Maybe there's more happening here. Maybe there's more happening here. Maybe there, this week there's more happening here. So they gathered up all the 12 baskets with fragments left by those who had already eaten. And when the people saw the sign they had done, said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So what are, what are the lessons here? Just real briefly. I think Jesus is seeing through the chaos to the fulfillment of his mission on the earth. He was giving Philip the test, right? I love teachers that would tell you, here's, here's what's going to be on the test. Jesus did that in Matthew 25. He said, at the end of the age, big test, there's going to be a dividing line between those who cared for the poor and those who did not. I appreciate that going into the test, right? When did we do that? Well, when you gave a cup of cool water to somebody who was thirsty, you did that. And you did it. He did it to me. Secondly, he's not looking for what we don't have. He's simply saying, you know, there's some other things that you'd like to keep and I could use those. He'll often ask for things we'd love to keep. But when he asks, he fully knows the connection to the mission that will be much, much more in the end of the age. And if we say yes, nothing will be lost. Much will remain. Some of the language starts to really make sense and this chapter spills over. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Don't work for food that spoils, but work for that which remains. Even the night he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it, praying some of the very thing he gave thanks. What's he doing? When we give our one day's wage, do you know that hundreds and thousands of people are going to come to know Jesus? Just in 2018, guys, 14.6 million people had a church come around them and ask, hey, can I pray with you right now? This has been really hard just in 2018. That's why it's smart to give. You know, um, Bill Davis, at the end of his life, you know, it was about a year before he died, um, unexpectedly. They gathered around and they, and they hosted dinner and he didn't know that he was going to be honored in the dinner. And at the very end, they said, Convoy of Hope is because of that picture I showed you of a single wide trailer. He just used what he had. He didn't ask, God wasn't asking for something he didn't have. He, he, he gave up his comfort. He gave up space. He gave up peace and quiet, I'm sure. But here's what he said. I never knew that loving your family, Hal, would result in helping so many lost and hurting people. Um, just this uh, past month, I thought it might be helpful for you. We have a saying at Conway of Hope, if you want an ordinary life, it's okay. You can have your lunch. Nothing wrong with that. But if you want an extraordinary life, give your lunch to Jesus and watch what he does with that. Proverbs 19.70 says, 
Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. God bless you this, this week as you consider uh, a day, an actual day, or maybe uh, going to work for the poor. God bless you.